Welcome to The Razor's Edge, an investing podcast. My name is Daniel Schwartzman, and I'm one of your hosts, along with Akram's Razor. The Razor's Edge covers the stock market and related topics, including deep dive interviews with guests, free-flowing conversations about investing themes that we are interested in, and more. We're bringing over 30 years of combined experience in markets, including Akram's extensive professional investing career and my decade-plus in financial media. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Follow us on Twitter or threads. Check out Akram's newsletter, The Razor's Edge, at the-razors-edge.ghost.io. Check out my RIA website at middlecoastinvesting.com. The views and ideas discussed on this podcast are our own or our guests when we have them. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. We may and usually do discuss stocks that we hold in our portfolios, long or short, on a given episode. We won't disclose those positions individually, and whatever you hear here, you should do your own research or speak with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Hey there, Happy New Year, belatedly. To all of you Razor's Edge listeners, this is Daniel. I just want to give a heads up before we jump into today's episode. We're actually going to have two episodes this week. We did a marathon session on Sunday. This episode will cover one of the hotter sectors in the market, the chip sector. We go into what's going on with chips, go into AI use, demand, and so on. And then we'll go to the flip side, which are some of the less hotly trading stocks or sectors in the market. We're going to talk about China stocks, as well as Boeing. So stay tuned for that. We'll probably post that on Thursday or Friday. And in the meantime, here's our episode about the chip sector so far in 2024. I hope you enjoy. Akram, how's it going? Good, good, good. Raven's big victory, looking good. We're recording this the morning after the Baltimore Ravens advanced to the American Football Conference. First time we'll be hosting the AFC Championship. Really? Ever? Yep. Wow. We're not that old of a team. Fair. Fair. We won two Super Bowls Bowls as underdogs. That's what it's been a proud franchise. It's had a lot of success. That's why I was. A mile high miracle. And as as, as a wild card team, or whatever you want to call it, in 2001. Yeah. So yeah, that was had, actually no, we had we had one home game in two thousand and one. Sorry. Uh, I actually was at that game where, where we also beat Denver. Oh, nice. So that was Shen Sharp. Yeah. Nice. Anyway, so you're in a good mood. In a good mood as a Ravens fan. Look, it's tough. It's like the markets, you know, when your expectations are really, really, really low, great, right? When your expectations are really, 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 really high. Uh, it's not fun. So the playoffs lately are not fun as a Ravens fan because whether it was 19 or, or this year, you're just like, oh, we're so like, you know, like they've had two runs where they've just destroyed the entire league, you know, in the regular season. So I'd say like the entire league, like the entire host of really, really good teams. But yeah, like in 19, they, you know, I mean, they beat everybody, they beat, they beat everybody by like double digits over, over a run and then went out in the first round. So yeah, as you were saying, it's good to be in low expectations scenarios than than high expectation ones. The playoffs are, are, you know, it's like owning Apple right now. It's valuations is what we're talking about. Ravens are have a high valuation. Yeah, you're just you're paying a, paying a huge premium for the for the domination that they're delivering. They have to nail. They have to win it all to deliver. Uh, to make make shares worth holding right now. Yes, because like if the slightest thing goes wrong, it's like you're just going to be utterly disappointed. You're not going to be happy with anything less than a Super Bowl victory. I mean, they've handed Lamar the MVP. It's like it's over. So uh, I think the fans will be able to live with uh, like a close Super Bowl that they just lose. But I mean, as of right now, I mean, the, the, the market expectation is going to be that uh, they win this thing in a landslide. Let's use that as a, because I don't have anything intelligent to say except for the Dan Campbell story, which by the time we publish this, 
we'll know whether the Lions are still still in the playoffs or not. But markets pricing and expectations. We had we had three things we talked about talking about today. And maybe we'll let's start with the one where the market is pricing in a lot of expectations because I think that's because the market as a whole. We had one sort of sell-off week to start the year, and then the last two weeks have both been pretty good. Last week, again, another S&P 500 cross 4,800, all-time highs, new bull market, blah, blah, blah. And, and tech, I don't think the NASDAQ has reached its 2021 peak yet, but no, it, I'm sure it will soon. Or No, I'm not sure it will, but it's close. I so mean... I mean, the 100 is there. Right. But yes. Composite is not yet. We were talking before, and about the chip sector and how the chip sector is continuing. It's a chip party, though. It's a chip party. You just throw a dart at a board. It's like, what do you you want? Semiconductors, boom. (laughs) Except for Vicor. I mean, unfortunately, I don't know who, there's somebody out there who said that's not going to work. But there's one chip stock that has not made money. <laughs> and then there's everybody else in chip land. Who's like, you know, if you, if you, t- if you took one of the like little chimpanzees <laughs> that they used to do experiments on, uh, for human testing and was like, here are the semiconductors pick a winner. <laughs> uh, he, he would have had the best performance. <laughs> yeah. It's been, well, it's I. I argued that there's an actual trigger, and I think so. I, the Taiwan Semiconductor reported last week, and it seemed like there were, that yeah. was at least well received, right? Twenty percent plus growth this year. Yeah. So I mean, like chips are obviously interesting. The the semicap complex, and of course, uh, recently now with uh, with the moon shoot in uh, in AMD. Like you've got that cohort that has blown through the 2021 highs, right? And then you've got some that, you know, obviously are not there because I mean, 20, 2023 was actually kind of a very down year. It was a very overhang year for most of them, right? But uh, like TSM still, by the way, is nowhere close to its peak, right? And I think this thing has been like 140, 150. You're also seeing certain things like the EDA, the, the, uh, what's the synopsis? Synopsis acquisition kind of tells you that like they're probably thinking about the share price and trying to start running a let's call it a a hot pan type approach, you know, in the other direction because it's not exactly like it's a it's like a huge contributor to the core business what they're doing, so. There's the interesting things going on on chips. I think the overall theme is it's the hottest commodity on earth, right? Uh, I've been I've been actually, you know, with with respect to uh, the long side, you know, like I was joking about it last week, and uh, there's just been some easy ones. It, well, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but like once the valuations started to perk up. Uh, thanks to NVIDIA, uh, you know, there was opportunity. Like, there was somebody who was asking, like, it's like, what's the play on Qualcomm? Aren't smartphones mature? <laughs> you know? And it's like, hey, well, the play on Qualcomm was buying it in an insanely low earnings multiple. You know what I mean? Like, you didn't even have to get into uh, your views on them in automotive and AI and potentially in data center, right? Like, you could just sit there and say phone content uh and if you really believe uh you know in this cycle well the next cycle of chips are going to have to be really good at, at at delivering the type of compute needed for llms right on mobile so when people ask those types of questions you're like what is it like you know smart smartphone market but sure i mean part of the story there had also really been like a Know, what Apple business are you going to have in a few years and all that. But really, for the most part in the chip space, everyone really has kind of got like this commodity push, right? And it's just like, you want to own, you want to own the 
the the the, the biggest players really. It's not even really a question of like you know, trying to really be you know a stock picker so much because the tailwind has been so pronounced as far as investor demand for this. I mean, last week was just crazy. You know, the way AMD and had NVIDIA traded Thursday and Friday. I mean, for the whole week in general, but like it's just, I mean, just on an adulterated momentum, you know, they're just sitting here watching it. I mean, AMD from the, like, it's been a, an interesting stock to watch trade. Mm. I know you're not as much of a short-term trader. Well, you're not a short-term trader at all, but when you get into these conversations about, you know, everybody who trades has their own little biases and, and ways of explaining certain moves. Right. And, you know, since AMD's AI day, we're looking, we came into this year really with like this, like expectation that they do $2 billion or so, uh, in data center revenue for the MI 300 on the GPU side, uh, which was a pretty fucking low number, pardon the language, but, uh, that expectation kind of went up. Now I will say I have talked to in the process of doing, you know, work in this space, particularly when I was short Vicor, uh, you know, a lot of people on the data center side who, who are responsible for the infrastructure of decision-making, uh, purchases and like, you know, it's a small market, you know, <laughs> I mean, as you're seeing when Mark Zuckerberg gets out there last last week and like we're gonna have we're gonna have a million H one hundreds. It's like everybody it's like turned into nuclear nuclear warheads, you know. Uh how many you got? But Doctor uh, Strange live all over. Yeah, I mean and then Altman's like raising money. He's gonna he's he wants to build like a a, a chip a, a, a AI chip making farm, you know, I mean, going back to the AMD, so you had some good perspective and then like, they kind of gave you that AI day and they kind of basically picked it up. You know, they like kind of hinted that they'll see more demand. And then so began these notes, which have, you know, like I traded it by the way, after that AI day from a short term option standpoint, it was obviously lucrative. And then I shifted to some other stuff, right? And like, if you just look at the consistency of it, you know, like I shifted from, I think I got like, you know, I caught like the 120 to like 135. Uh, And then, you know, in the last week, it did like 140 to 175, you know, basically, right? Or last week and a half. Uh, And it started on Monday with this... Well, technically Tuesday, but the Monday uh, note, this like key bank upgrade saying that they'll do, there'll be a billion run rate in data center, right? Which is like, so now the expectation really has gone to 4X, really what like management has kind of set the bar at for, for 24. Uh, so it's obviously really ratcheted up. And you know, you're seeing the stock react accordingly, right? I mean, you can do some sort of math. Like the difference in price is not exactly that drastic. It's the thing. It's like you're talking forty, forty, forty-one thousand dollars, thirty-four, thirty-five thousand dollars between the H100 and uh, on the super high end, uh, single unit wise, no volume discounts uh, versus the MI300X. So, yeah. I mean, there's obviously a desire to catch up, uh, have a second source. And of course, like still the, the focusing is more on inferencing. But yeah, like from that day, it's just been all right. AMD, AMD looks good. And I was just saying like from like that day, I looked at it and I looked at where, where NVIDIA was trading. Of course, NVIDIA has also gone up about 20% in that window. But I was just like, yeah, I was just like, this thing should... This AMD is going to get to $300 billion, right? This becomes like where you're no longer like really just picking the price on earnings. And like you're just starting to relatively attribute them 
you know, in market cap slices uh, for as long as uh, for as long as the positive momentum for everything going upwards uh, exists in the space. Mm. When I when I mean upwards, like demand revisions, not price, but but yeah, like it's it's the best sector in the market. I mean, if you actually really looked, also. Uh, way like software has actually become an underperformer. Um, I wouldn't needle too much into it, but you know, it's been I guess it's it's been chips, and and you you want to call them you know hyperscale cloud giants. So, you know, your mega caps, your magnificent seven. Yeah, SOX looks like it was up something like 8% last week, the semiconductor index and ETF. Yeah, people haven't seen a chip chip frenzy since the internet bubble, right? I will say, like the last time, I mean, for those who remember, the end of the tech bubble, but like that overlapping period between, like, between you know, tech bubble peak in the NASDAQ and uh, September 11th, 2001. Right, that window was still a very strong window for for semiconductors. Right, like you, like the the beta in the market. You know, the stuff that would just move and would have violent swings was, you know, back then was the semicap names. It was like it was your KLAC and your Novellus and your Lamb Research and your Applied Materials and the the well the, the the well known names there and then it was the like the semiconductors that specialize in network backbone infrastructure versus what today the favorites obviously are GPU data center right although networking is still drawing some stuff I mean we saw my my baby Juniper got taken out uh, and uh, on top of that like you've seen Arista has just been a monster right like that's basically been one of the big networking beneficiaries. Uh, there's also now a lot of appetite around Marvell on data center networking related uh, demand to AI. But like then it was, you know, it was like PMC Sierra and, and the test semiconductor and QLogic and Brocade and Amulix and, you know, these storage networking companies and stuff like that. It's basically been 20 years since the sexiest thing in the market has, has been, has been infrastructure silicon. The question obviously is where is if all of this to that, the, the internet bubble is not the most encouraging forward looking analogy for investors. And there's a lot, obviously well, you end up building up, you know, you have all this capacity and then all of a sudden you have excess capacity and bandwidth and all that crap. And, you know, then companies get created that take advantage of it, right? Everything that went online and, you know, Netflix, Netflix and, yeah. and booking.com and social media and all that crap. Well, and that's, it, it, those order effects are interesting, but that build out, like there's, so one, one canary. Oh, yeah. I don't think the next time it'll be in the internet. I think the next time it's going to be like, you know, your, your robot assistant, Simon, who hangs out with you. And the capacity build out has like we're seeing TSM talked about how mature processes is they're seeing signs of overcapacity. Mobileye had a terrible guidance for this year, said they were going to revenue was going to be in half Q1. And yeah, then, but I mean it basically looks like that 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 there was like some inventory stuff in there, which somehow, you know, worked very nicely for these spin-offs. So. Yeah. Yeah, well, there, but it, I'm saying there, you see, like that was a hot, the silicon and carbide, the the chips that are going into power systems, going into cars and so on. Like you're seeing warning signs across there. On semi had a bad, an unwelcome guidance in Q4. I mean, like, no one's really had anything good to say other than data center, right? And so the question it all begs is whether. There's, there's a, again, as we've tried, I've tried to say for sure that there is obvious demand. And you mentioned Facebook and AMD's reports and so on. But at some point, 
the demand when a move and those just I hadn't looked at AMD or NVIDIA's charts there and that's just a chart but it NVIDIA I think is up every day except the first day of the year and it's just a straight increasingly vertical line AMD also sharply up and then most of these chip companies like what do you we and we talked we started with the the hook of the ravens and the idea of priced in it seems like I think there's I actually bought back in bought fresh shares in the semicap equipment conductor company that I own right before this move luckily so I do think there's Excellus which makes ion implanters they got to the low you know it got cheap for, for a bit and now it's it's moving up again. But so I'm not saying that there's nothing out there, but it does, it, you know, anytime this move happens, it feels like, like you said, everything's going, meaning it's not on sale. Everybody's buying everything. And all of a sudden there's only, you really need consistent, strong demand to care. And, you know, there's talks of memory is going to come back. Memory is still, I, I don't follow the details on Micron, but memory is still not totally at the table as compared to these others. But I don't know. What do you like? Are we at the point where this is crazy, or is this just catch up? Or how do you sort of frame frame all of this in terms of how fast it's moved? And how I don't really it- know if it's crazy, but yes, you're all. I think you're always surprised whenever things become this pronounced short term. But the reality is. When you look at the historical moves for things that are like in favor structurally, they do happen in these crazy concentrated spurts. And then, you know, not much happens for a while. Right. So you've made no money in Tesla since, you know, essentially October of 2020. But from January to October of 2020, it went up like seven times. Yeah. That's that's pretty right. Pretty spot on. So, and you had made no money in it in the previous five years, as it was like, what are is it going to live? Is it going to die? It's not a good. It's not, by the way, Tesla's so historically controversial. It's not exactly a good analogy for anything here, but like, but it is. It's had a couple step points. Yeah. It, yes, it's had a it's had a couple monster spurts. And then like eight years of the stock doing nothing. So if you were to like add it up and you're like, I've been a Tesla shareholder for eight years, but I took, took one year off, you know, <laughs> you have made no money. So it's really important to be in there in those windows because you would have started right after its first big run. And then, you know, you sat out that 10 months, 12 months, and then came back in, you've gone nowhere. So, and you've seen this at times with like, you know, very few things deliver this totally gradual incrementalist compounding that I think the mind thinks is how compounding occurs. But it really is more spurts and, and spurts in which the counter is like, well, I mean, what's, is this too much, too much, too fast? And the easy answer always is, yeah, probably is. But <laughs> the, when it's happening, it's kind of arbitrary. Well, only if you're going to get into the business of shorting, you, you really start asking yourself, like, is there a catalyst that goes in the other direction? Now, I will say, take Microsoft, okay? Microsoft has something like 200 data centers. They're building like another 110 right now. And their plan over the next four years is for that number to go to like 800. So like, you can just say their data center footprint is going to like three and a half X, right? So they're kind of unique as they were also, you know, under provisioned data center versus Amazon and Google historically. and now they're going to be, you know, the biggest, you know, data center footprint probably by the time it's, it's, it's all over. So that's where they're spending their money. Obviously, Meta is in a huge build out. 
right? And, you know, at the end of this year, the difference from where Meta, the difference from where Meta and Microsoft and all these guys went spending wise from 18 months ago to now, like that Delta, you know, is kind of the story, right? Like they're not going to increase relative to where they've been at. Now, if you're bearish, the question will be like, when I say increase in a measurable manner, that's relevant based on how much they have increased recently. Right. But I'd say if you're on the other side of it, the question is, does it decline, you know, to a more maintenance level run rate? Uh, or is there some sort of pause or retrenchment? And I, I mean, I did write something today. Well, not today, the last week, or maybe it was right before last week, the end of the week before about model shrinkage. The two things that could go wrong in the NVIDIA story. Because I had like a tweet, you know, I saw the ISR and toward NVIDIA and like somehow a lot of people took that seriously, which is like what I was, you know, I was basically making the joke, like with the move it's had that like you should be trading, you know, astrological indicators or something, right? As your excuse for a trade. Like, wh why do you short a stock that's gone up every single day for four weeks other than like, you know, the Ouija board uh, or you saw something in, in the stars? Numerology. <laughs> but, correct. But like, if you're looking for specific reasons, there was like, there was a couple interesting things last week, which was one, you know, AMD demand going up and seemingly more comfort, more comfort uh, from, from the customer base to spend more money with them sooner than later, right? Which is not good news for NVIDIA, okay? I mean, nobody may care yet because it's like the pie is growing, but it's not good news for NVIDIA. And then the second one, you know, essentially being this whole mishmash of whether it's Sam Altman raising his money, I don't know, like whatever the hell Elon wants to do with his AI nonsense, you know, after he's done whining about his voting rights or what you need to give him for him to give you his business Genius. ideas yeah. <laughs> as a Tesla shareholder. <laughs> it's like, you won't get to keep it. I'll, do, I'll build it somewhere else. Like isn't this like the ridiculous like ninety percent of your net worth? <laughs> like where's the what happened to the like the interest alignment? And then you know like there was the Bill Gates interview with Altman where they talk about how much things have improved as far as uh, compute scaling, right? So they're basically saying like their optimizations are like it's. It's more impressive than than what he was he was comparing it to Moore's law, right? So saying that like what they've done with Chat GPT three and three point five, and then we've seen these things where you know there's been these models that have been shrunk with far less parameters, achieving like ninety eight percent of the accuracy of I think there was one that was just did it versus Chat GPT four. Uh, which I shared, uh, and like this is the whole Pied Piper Silicon Valley thing, right? Where it's like, what if you, you know, like they were a compression algorithm, right? And like basically, if you could do that, you know, you would, you would just be like magic, you know, make every like a zip, a zip file. <laughs> that's not that's that's not exactly a zip file. Uh, can it can be done in real time? It, it, I pointed out earlier. I was like, "There's two things where, like, if you want to get bearish, or if you want to, you know, if you're a person looking for a short thesis on Nvidia right now, right? You know, in contrast to when I shorted in eighteen, or like the things you have to kind of focus on at a different point in time. And and right now, it's really clear, right? It's their data center business. You don't like. Do you see anyone talking about gaming? <laughs> You know, gaming is now a rounding error, right? In that market cap, 
you know? So there's really nothing for them to do in gaming to, to, to have sensitivity. They're like nobody's going to care about how the gaming business performs and be able to link it to the stock price. The whole thing is data center and data center is, you know, going to be hypersensitive and going to go through, uh, I think, as we pointed out, two things, one credible competition since they effectively have like, you know, 99% market share. Right. And two, if it's not credible competition, right. It's evidence of, you know, a seismic difference in the long-term given assumption driving everything, which is more, right? Big Tam, huge market, really early. Jensen's just, you know, basically GPU computing replaces all computing. Uh, there's this CPU install base, right, to replace. It's always the variation of this, by the way, Daniel. It gets fucking old once you do it. <laughs> How much is on-prem, right? <laughs> That's going to cloud. Right, you know how much is CPU compute? That's your addressable market for GPU compute. But take the ASP up to uh, what you know. It's like, well, isn't it different when you consider how the compute works here? Right, like there's a reason. There's a reason these chips just get bigger, and the unit growth is smaller, and the ASP goes up. Right, so they're delivering so much more power, and you're using it for a certain type of computing. Right these types of calculations, which there's a ton of stuff that does not benefit from a GPU. It's like the GPU is a problem, right? Like if it's sequential, it's order-based. If you're opening uh, windows on a browser, right? There's no benefit to, to parallelization there, right? So it, it becomes like, what are the workloads, you know? And then this, this is when you get into like, you know, like what at what point has... Daniel's LLM model that he can fit into his pocket, right? And that he trained for $300 in compute costs. Is it good enough in comparison to the number one model, you know, ChatGPT7? Like how much better from than ChatGPT4 is ChatGPT? I was thinking about this, you know, I'm not a person who uses Siri and I was using Siri and I was just asking a question just a reminder of how like, not great it is, you know, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, if Siri got like 70% better, which is like Chad GPTville, right? Uh, on Chad GPT, like three, right? Uh, and it was just kind of built in. And you think about, you know, what Apple is spending also on GPUs. I'm like, that would be good enough, you know, for it to be highly useful to me as an assistant, which I'm already using, right? As a voice, voice operated, it's right there. It's just... Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's there. I, like, it's the default, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in their ecosystem, but I'm not using it because it sucks, okay? So I'm still doing manual searches. I'm still doing all these other things, right, on mobile. But all of a sudden, it gets that much better. And the same thing with Alexa. It's like the old 30 Rock episodes where Tracy Jordan asks Alaska hilarious questions. Like, Thank you, sweetie. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, Alexa gets that good, right? And in both of those cases, you're like, all right. I'm like, okay, let's say they get there. Like, what room is there really for everybody? I mean, yes, we understand the other use cases if you're going to be doing really specific work. I know, you know, writing copy and legal and all this other stuff. Uh, writing code and co-pilots and uh, whatever, right? But I'm saying for the average person, like, how will you measure it? And it'll be like, well, I mean, if Apple can make Siri that much better, that's all they're really going to care about. <laughs> you know? Right. It comes back, the end use case is kind of still back on the table. Yeah, she can't understand language perfectly yet. <laughs> you know? And like, she gets there. Uh, that's a big deal. And I mean, it's funny because like, I guess it wasn't really that much of a priority for them because I don't know how they make money, but clearly they're prioritizing it now. 
like that's just one area where it looks like they're going to have to spend a lot of money. Just like Facebook has had to spend a lot of money, you know, once Apple, you know, took away their signal on IDFA, right? I think it's just like Apple's going to have to make their core tools that much better, you know, as a one-up upgrade on their infrastructure. And you know what? They can afford it for the for the mode that they have. So it's not like so much about them. You know, people are always like, when's their next big thing? You know, I just ordered a Vision Pro. And you're like, all right, is this going to be a total waste of money? Like, like if you were to use the measuring stick of my experience with the MetaQuest, which, by the way, was so cheap that like as little as you've used it, you haven't cared, right? You know, they're just like, you know what? It was 200 bucks. <laughs> right you know? it's, it's it and like the higher ticket price for the vision pro forces you to kind of try every way you can to get value out of it i guess yes and you're going to be like okay like this was a complete this was really 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 disappointing like you're real they will hear it uh i mean right, look this is the you know the the developer targeted one right so like it's not exactly consumer focused but they're definitely going to hear it uh if it's not wondrous in you know some of of what it it does it offers experience wise but yeah i mean the the meta quest was like when it when you were using it was great right but like the friction of using it regularly you know made it just sit on a shelf and that's fine for $200 you don't think about it you're like if i actually was hardcore about any of this stuff it's great value for money still. I think we got a little sidetracked there. I'm trying to think of how to pull this back because we're talking about the... Yeah, I mean, I guess the bottom line is uh, how Yeah, you're talking about access capacity. Yes, yeah. and as I was saying, like, you know, if we use Microsoft as the example in data center, uh, they, plan, they have really aggressive spending plans. So, like, I don't know if you can look at it from that end. Uh, if we look at the mobile footprint of all these comp of, 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 you know, everybody need, needing smartphones with accelerators and laptops with accelerators that are optimized for LLMs. But like, that's just the way it'll be, right? Like that's what compute becomes. So what, it's like some sort of co-processor or built into the, the core processor, right? Uh, like you don't really care how it gets there, but that like they've del delivered some sort of hardware boost processing wise uh that makes it easier to do you know the, the the local compute that that makes uh siri smarter you know i mean it seems like there's two things that make siri smarter one they got to get better at it themselves uh at apple and then like two like it's got to be on device like there was that thing I made fun of recently that got introduced. I don't remember what it's like. It's like some sort of sidekick. It's like literally like the size of a pager. And it's like an assistant. And like you can like the demo like literally did stupid things like ask it questions that you would ask Siri. Right. It's like what is the price of Coca-Cola? Right. But then they did things like, hey, can you book me an Uber ride? Do this, and they were basically showing that like AI is from an LLM standpoint one thing until like you can link the actions together, right? So like to do the integrations to like enable, uh, like there's one example he does where he's like, I would like to take a family of four to London, uh, and we'd like to stay at these types of hotels, and uh, you know for these dates, and you know like. I actually thought it was dumb because I was like, one who can actually talk out what they want to do, planning a vacation. You know? So the idea that verbalizing is important, right? Uh, in that manner is not how I think travel is. is I don't think that's the innovation uh, for AI and travel, right? Because you're just like, there's like, I think it's broken into segments of, you know, uh, I'm going to, I, I want to go here to here for these dates and like, let's optimize that. And then it's like, where do you want to stay? And that's like based on reviews. Like, for example, he actually does do like a DoorDash thing where he's like, 
can you order me a pizza from Papa John's and let me go with the most popular item on the menu? And then it's like, oh, wait, you know what? I want to change that to a large cheese. Yeah. And then it sends you like a notification and it's like, you know, confirm. Right. Or if like you ask for an Uber ride, it does. It does the whole thing. Right. Which then you're like, all right, like, it's cool that you're doing this on the top layer with the integration. But like, is this just something that Uber's app should be able to do? Like, should that be native for them? Or like we were just saying earlier, does this go back to the phone OS? Right? Like you start thinking about who has to do the hard work here. Right? That like basically delivers. Uh, I mean, it's basically delivering a UX upgrade for humans with the machine. That's what you're talking about. Right? It's the census. So uh is it is it in your app so when i just like i hit the phone and i open the uber app and i say uber book me this and the the voice capabilities to understand me are there and i don't have to do anything else and because i'm in my uber app like all the payments and everything else is taken care of right or am i doing it via siri which is like, this is what these guys were kind of providing, right? They're like, hey, this shit ain't good enough. And here's this little device because it also has like a co-processor on it. You know, it can do these things faster. So like he, he was really bad with his presentation. He literally spent like the first five minutes doing basic translation stuff, right? Or like you just talk to it. And I actually felt he should have led with his Uber. And the pizza thing, because you cannot do that on a phone, right? Because he's like, look, we can ask it. Where's what's the stock was? I was like, who would ask? Why? Why are you demonstrating something that you can already do on your phone? Why do I have a second thing in my pocket, a second piece of hardware? But in the big picture, you start thinking about what is AI here, you know, from a consumer standpoint, and you're like, this company basically has told you that the problem is that. We can do all these little things, but we can't turn them into actions, right? Like there's these powerful models, but they, they can't go the last mile of finishing the booking on Expedia or, or, or booking.com. It, it can't place the order on DoorDash. It can't get you your car ride on Uber, right? And that's where you're looking at it and you're like, all right, well, is that something that each individual, one of these conglomerate giants, you know, needs to do themselves or is this something that apple builds into their os right and then these guys integrate with apple right and it just becomes their integration on what hundred thousand percent that hardware is never going to exist as a separate as a separate tool uh, in the future right it is going to be a piece of software on the phone now whether the, whether the next model of the phone needs some sort of silicon upgrade you know, to optimize that, that's a whole different question, right? But like, that's why this is an interesting device to look at because they've cre they, they, it's, it's, it's got a hardware advantage, right? Because it's just focused on this, but you get to see what it's trying to deliver from a human interface, human to machine interface. Right. That is essentially the AI, you know, consumer market. Right. When we step outside of, you know, what AI is doing, uh, what AI can be used for. You know, whether it's to generate a meme and all these other things. Right. Which is what you're going to see from Meta and TikTok and these guys. Those guys have every incentive to do that. Right. They want filters built into their app. Right. They need to keep you there. Right. Does, does Uber need to spend the money? Or is this Uber microservices, you know, integrating with like, you know, they already have their payment partner, they have the communication partner, they have this. And then is it just going to be like, oh, we, we'll build this native integration with iOS, right? 1700, you know, whatever the next one will be, right? iOS AI, right? you know, when that comes out. And now all you need to, now you can book, you know, 
your Uber ride through Siri and the action is completed. Well, and it seems if I back it into, we're arguing about who, because ultimately it'll be who then gets the economics out of it. And obviously the IO, if it's Apple, that, that would be to their benefit one way or the other. If, if you're an Uber, there's some benefit to owning that relationship in the app, but then- there's nobody who gets it really. It's the compute, right? So like what we are basically, it's an upgrade in, in interfacing with the machine that will go, that will accrue to everybody. Right. So the idea that it can be totally monetized by one, right? Like, yes, let's just say that that was the case. Let's say, Hey, you need this model, right? We all have to license it. Okay. Think about it this way. Like as if Google maps was only available by Google, like, let's just say they were the only ones who were able to map the earth uh, accurately, you know? Let's say they're the only ones who had the GPC, GPS location technology to make so many of these mobile things work, right? They would just be ge generating insane licensing fees. And you're all basically buying access to that in the same way map providers in the early days made money, right? TomTom Tom and all these other companies, when if you want to go back to uh, when everybody started sticking, you know, what were they called? The custom uh, navigation assistants. The uh, I mean, sat navs, just GPSs. I'm saying you used to be able to buy a device and stick it in your car. That would before there was two. There's several ways Tom, it worked. Tom, One, Garmin, were, yeah. Garmin right. had the device, right? But like the software came from licensing. Uh, uh, sorry, the mapping technology was licensed from other people. But I'm saying that. There's this went two ways. One, your phone ended up being able to do it. Two, your car ended up being able to do it. Right. But there was a period in time, right, that it was what? It was a it was an add-on. Just like this stupid little sidekick. You know? Oh, I mean, you went, yeah. Or you went to you went, you went to Best Buy, you bought you, you you went to Best Buy, you bought something, you mounted it in your car, and that was your 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 navigation assistant. Right. The point being that the idea that we would have, we we tend to go to fewer devices that are more powerful over time. That the the replacement. Yes, it's a convergence of software because like they all exactly. end up leveraging the same thing. Like I said, location assistance, right? It's GPS and then licensed maps, right? If only one person had that, so that's what I'm saying is like if only one company, you know, had the ability to translate voice into action for the machine, right? And and we're and what we're sitting here saying with large language models, it's pretty clear there's zero chance that's going to be the case, right? So everyone's going to have this pretty good, and like you could think of it this way: you could be like, "All right, if these guys can get so good at this, and they could only do this, right?" There's two things that happen: Apple buys them, okay, or they have to build everything. Uh, all right. Uh, backwards to make the whole device replace the phone you know that's not happening right because all the other stuff that's already on the ecosystem and the install base right so like if if they figured something else out they'll be acquired by them or samsung or whoever uh and it will eventually be part of your next ios upgrade or it'll be part of iphone 16 you know, you know, whatever it is. And that's where you get into this whole thing of like when you saw that, and you're like, well, this is what AI is, right? Like at this level. Okay. And this is like a CES keynote and you watch it and you're like, all right. Then like Alexa, Google, uh, and Apple are, are in such good shape, you know? And, it's not like you're looking at it as some sort of obvious thing for a new path to monetization. It's that just like they carry on being, being who they are. I mean, there's maybe ways for, for Google and Amazon to make more money from an advertising standpoint than the home. The home's a battleground, right? Because that becomes much more interesting with smart technology and like, what are you ordering and 
all these other things. And it's my fridge empty. And, you know, if you get to that and that level is reliable, the connection of the actions to be like, look, I need more eggs. Uh, I'm out of eggs. Uh, I need this, uh, some fresh avocados and do 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 And it just, you know, again, your payments are linked. Your voice is authenticated. You're at home. You know, it pops up. You say confirm uh, and you're done. Right. Like that's what these guys were do- essentially doing with the Uber mobile app or, or DoorDash. Right. Or saying, hey, you can book this whole flight with Expedia. Like, I don't want to talk for one minute. Right. About a vacation. And then, by the way, I need to read it. Right. And to go back and read and see what exactly it, ha- it has me book- being booked. You know, I mean, it's great that I can just say confirm and then you pay for it. But I'm going to want to spend enough time going through, all right, these are the flight legs. These are the hotels, right? These are the activities. And if that's the case, uh, uh, oh, I want to change this, right? Like that changes the whole equation of like me being in a rush for it. But yes, for an Uber ride, uh, it's great. You know? But like, it's not like an Uber ride presently is that much of a challenge. (laughs) You click one time you put location second time and you wait. Well, don't underestimate neither the individual or at least the American individual's capacity for laziness and corporations capacity for assuming that the fully somehow there's something to be gained from simplifying that one step. But all of this reads to me. Yeah, it's not as interesting as eliminating your creatives or, you know, being able to do legal work or uh, up, uploading a 10K and into perplexity and asking questions or uploading a short report that I've written and being like, give me a summary of it or whatever, or, you know, uh, something like that, right? Like, those are some of the, like, let's call it, you know, knowledge worker uh, uh, AI boosts that we've seen from LLMs. But when you talk about like the raw monetization for consumer level behavior, like I'm saying, like it just seems like it's an upgrade that will be borne by, by everybody, right? And the benefit will accrue to the consumer and it's just, it's just the next step in computing. Right, yeah, it, it, which to me reads mildly more bearish than what we've seen from the semiconductor sector. Correct, because they're out there already showing you that, oh, we, we got this model to this percentage of accuracy versus chat GPT, and it costs $300 to train. Now, that's kind of misleading because it got to be able to be trained that way because of everything that came before it, right? But that's also what happens in you know the, you know, the marriage between between software and compute when you start doing optimizations because you already know so and that's where you get into like all right so like you're right like it's mildly to potentially way more bearish remember there's like there's like the example that i pointed to and there was a next platform article on this i came i did like i touched upon all this when i did you know the nvidia short work in 18 right which was like focused on crypto but I did also spend a lot of time on data center. And I said, look, everyone's like, if you, if you remember 18, right. And then, you know, we addressed this because you and I did that podcast in December of 19, where I basically got really bullish on NVIDIA because I was like a data center and like the entire sell side community was really bearish because of an ongoing inventory correction in gaming. Right. And I was like, look, who cares about gaming right now? Like, it's pretty clear 18 months later that nobody is going to touch them in data center because we just went through like 200 startups, right? Who made a lot of noise and like in-house chip solutions. And it amounted to nothing. In fact, NVIDIA got a way bigger market share of inferencing way faster, you know, and made it way cheaper. Uh, that was when they introduced whatever it was. Uh, I don't even remember the name of the chip. The T4. The T4 inferencing card. Which ends up becoming irrelevant because everything is still about the training or it ends up taking all of the market because nobody 
Well, they could, first thing, remember, these cards can do training and they can do inferencing. It's optimized one to the other. The point then was that like the 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 performance per dollar of compute that was delivered uh, on the inferencing card that they introduced then was a huge difference. Uh, and I remember there was like a lot of startups trying to take them on in inferencing and uh, the argument was that like they would not do well in inferencing. The CPUs were being optimized for inferencing. I mean, there's still like, of course, their money making machine is has been training. Like that's where they've got, where they have the edge. Particularly, it's the the ability to do these huge networks uh, of GPUs and clusters together. But the T4 was like kind of the beginning of them going into that market. I mean, again, go, kind of going back to that that whole point is that like you focused on you focused on that then uh, as like an area where demand would drop off on the crypto, but like you spent some time there and in doing the time there, cause this is where, what, what brought us here is you looked at the history of the CPU market, right? And the CPU server market, I think did like, was like worth like 50 billion. I think it was 53, $54 billion in revenue uh, in 1999 or 2000. And it was, you know, predicted to like, just grow like, you know, double digits every year, right? And it doesn't pass that number again until 2017, right? Now, there's a bunch of things that went into that. Uh, there's, there's Moore's Law. There's, you know, uh, we ended up with more capacity. And then there was this like magical thing called virtualization, right? Where you were basically able to take your more out of computer, your, right? you, yeah and like split it into you know uh you know more more instances internally uh that required you to buy what less servers and that kind of goes back to where you're incrementally more bearish and it's that point two it's that pied piper thing here you know or the the 300 trained uh llama variant or whatever uh uh model and you sit here and say well like if they get this wrong, right? It's a huge semiconductor bust. <laughs> you know, like Nvidia goes from 1.4 trillion to 400 billion, and it's, it's uh, uh, maybe back to 200. Who knows, right? Which is uh, right. Which is where basically the the idea of them needing to win their Super Bowl for this to make sense is kind of when it goes that fast, it's. Yes. I mean, as of right now, we are at the polar opposite end of it. And I guess the best comparison, and this would be like, if we were really, really focused on this and this was like COVID, you know, we would go get, we would go, go get a whole series of people and be like, why can what happened to the server market not happen in the GPU, the GPU market? Right. <laughs> like, why is it not possible that this dollar value of this market does not grow again for 15 years? Right. There is that period where it, it grows multiples. Right. And then it's just like, oh, it never grows again. And now remember, at that period where it grows multiples, the expectations are it for it to be like out of control for the next five years, right? That's almost categorically wrong every single time, right? Now, is it going to be so categorically wrong that it's 2000 wrong as far as that level? Or is it gonna be like, you know, low single digits uh, and still highly profitable and uh, like the compute intensity as a save. Look, the scarier thing about this too, remember, is that there's way more players involved, right? Like, if you also think about what happened with servers in the last time, it was like, you know, I mean, you had the Unix guys too, but there's it, it a few players. Like, now everyone's kind of a convergence in computing here, right? Yeah, I mean, of course, NVIDIA is getting the attention, but if you're making chips for mobile, if you're making chips for anything right now, Right. Like it's all kind of the same thing. And like you've got Intel also in the wings and 
you've got AMD and you've got Broadcom and like everyone's playing, whether they're doing the custom accelerators or whether you're like basically saying, hey, this is like where the CPU market's going. So I'm going to creating these, you know, hybrid solutions and it becomes all about the packaging and the, and the networking and all these other things. Right. So you kind of look at it and just say they're, they're, everyone is so focused on delivering performance improvements, you know, from a hardware standpoint that like if something was to really accrue uh, and it's, there's two ways of looking at it. One, it's you software optimized and you don't need that much more processing of it. Okay. Or, you know, we turn, it turns out that the utility is limited, right? Like, oh, it's amazing. You can talk to the computer, right? But then you're just like, yeah, but it turns out that humans only need to talk to it this percentage of the time, you know? And you guys totally underestimated the amount of time people would be spending uh, doing anything other than pushing the button, you know? Uh, like we said, like, are you going to talk to the computer when you're booking your vacation? Like, is it something that is done in that that? Or is it easier for you to still plan it with all the tools that exist and filters and whatever, you know, on the booking sites and you want to do your research, right? Like you kind of want to look at three hotels. You want to see the five that are next to each other in price, right? Like, what are you going to sit? Like, you're going to wait for them to read the five hotels, right? Match the pictures on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. So like, there's just a lot of things where it's like, oh. And that's what, like, that's the type of thing you think about when you watch him do a keynote. Because when I watch that keynote, and, you know, I made fun of that thing on Twitter. I don't know if you saw. I see. It's the rabbit, rabbit ink. The rabbit. Yes. There you go. And, like, the I, there was, like, instantaneously, there's, like, there's some people who are, like, why are you guys hating on technology? Yeah, people who don't build anything, shut the fuck up, you, you know? Right? Like, builders are going to build. You know, it's like, no, no. Like, we're, we all love technology. And like we watched this keynote and I was like, one, he should have hired someone to consult on him on the steps in the keynote. Because from eight minutes to the 15 minute mark, which is where he starts to introduce what the product does. OK, it also didn't help that he had a very bad English accent, but whatever. He, you know, he was powering through it and he's explaining it. And I'm like, you can't be doing like the stuff that was accomplished in 2007, you know, as your first thing. It's like, look. The rabbit can do this. The rabbit can do that. And it's like, hey, rabbit, what is the stock price of Coca-Cola today? And it's like, I mean, that's amazing. But like I could get a Coca-Cola stock quote on my BlackBerry in 1999. <laughs> you know? Right? I mean, I'm, it's great that, you know, you can get it to do it with an audio. <laughs> uh, and like that was capable, you know, uh, 10 years later. <laughs> right? That was like the first part of it where you're like, you're not like, I'm already uninterested by the time, you know, I don't know how many people, like, I guess the people who are there have no choice, right? But if you're watching it and trying to go through the whole keynote, you're like, why is he taking so long to get to his, you know, his innovation? And his innovation ends up being, I mean, I know you have to kind of set it, right? Which he, I think he should have just started with Uber. And he's like, here's how I book an Uber ride, right? But I can't say, you know, I can't do the audio, right? Because it won't confirm it. And if it's not going to confirm it, then I still have to open the app. So why would I talk to it? LLMs are useless, right? That's where we come in, right? And you see that, and then you see how he does the one with the pizza. Uh, but then you see him do the one where with Expedia. And you're like, that's just like, why would anyone do this? And this is what, and like in the process of seeing all this, you start thinking about what's going to happen, right? And like, as we said, we just went back to these examples where you're like Garmin and these things and whatever, and you know, who provides what, and then like, who has a market here to actually make money other than a market here where I have to address this cost, right? Because it's just basically, like we said, like, why are we paying Apple consistently what we pay for, right? Like part of the expectation going forward from Apple is that they're going to deliver, you know, uh, in iOS, high-level LLM integration functionality, right? And that's just going to be something where they're going to have to spend a bunch of money on GPUs, which is part of the bull market for NVIDIA and AMD right now, right? But like, you know, if they're all doing it at the same time, which is what's happening, and because none of them, there's a game theory element to, to this, Daniel, right? 
None of them can have the other one accrue it, but they're all so rich. They're all going to deliver such a huge inflationary benefit of accomplishing this task in a manner that no one has a moat defining product, right? Like it's just a race for all of them to make what they currently have, which is they're, they're already, each one of them is in this, right? And it's just like a market share delta between, between the four or five. Like Alexa gets more market share from Siri uh, in certain use cases or whatever. Uh, Google, Google Assistant, hey Google, right? Whoever like ends up navigating the home uh, and like what, what like the shuffle is there, right? Samsung, uh, Apple, it's kind of like what we like talk about with like the old TV OSs, but like to the next step, right? Like the, is it the Roku, you know, is it your Google, Android, whatever uh, on the TV? Uh, or is it going to be, uh, you know, Samsung ties in or whoever, but, you know, in a much bigger manner. And that's like really, I think, really it for the consumer level. So at the consumer level, just view it as a cost at the enterprise level. Right. I mean, it's it's how you keep raising pricing. Right. Like, you know, it's like the, the next time you want to charge ten dollars more uh, uh, for Zoom or uh or microsoft office right you're delivering this i mean it initially starts as an add-on and then it's like this is just the price and everybody has the functionality right maybe there's a bigger opportunity there but again it's like it's a battle of the incumbents right like adobe can't have uh, somebody else developing a piece of software um that's doing the generative art they like, have to, they have to race their level the Yes. So this is just the whole thing, the whole thing of a race to remember, again, humans are interacting with the machine and they have been. And this is this is closing that last mile. Right. Like that on on where we haven't been able to. So where where we will be able to make money, Daniel, is what? I robot. And I'm not talking about the Roomba. (laughs) It's bad weeks talk about the Roomba. Yeah. I'm talking. I'm talking about Will Smith. <laughs> you know. Wow, well, I don't. I don't think I saw the movie, but I read the book long ago, and I don't oh, think it works out. It? it doesn't doesn't work out. That's where Asimov lo- makes the, his the, the, makes his law the, about robots. The, the, the three robot. laws. Yeah. I the fucking re- robots, man. <laughs> well, it's, Who did it? It's the fucking robots. It's funny you I robot because that's bad week for murder Arb last week. I think my father made me different because I was made to kill you. <laughs> yep, mm. There you go. They Just, always revolt. You've got a special alunium coating. Thank you for listening to the Razor's Edge. Subscribe to this wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at, at Daniel Shortman and at Akram's Razor with suggestions, requests, or anything else. We aim to publish this every Tuesday morning and love to hear from you. If you can share this with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really be grateful as that will help the podcast grow and improve. This has been a Short Man Studios production. Our theme song is Move On by Soquel. Thank you for listening and see you next week.